0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 15. We'll begin in verse 17 here in just a moment. I want to tell you where we are in our series so that you can understand that what Jesus is going to bring to us tonight is very much what Patrick had just talked about, that beautiful picture of that little boy. He said, I wanted to give it so that I could see the picture of Jesus completed and others could see it too. And I think that's what we do. Whether we gather on a Thursday night for worship or we gather here on Sunday mornings, whether you're involved in a small Bible study or you do something kind for your neighbor and reach out, whether you're giving financially like you're doing right now so others would know, what we're really all trying to do is contribute to an accurate picture of Jesus for the world to see and celebrate. And so grateful for what you contribute. Uh, We're in the last night of Jesus' life before he'll be arrested and murdered. And Jesus is spending this time connecting with his disciples. He's established the Lord's Supper, and now he's moving from that to talking to his disciples. After they'd left the upper room, they're heading down the mountainside, then up another mountain to get to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will be arrested. And on this entire time, Jesus is talking to his disciples about what to expect. He's foreshadowing what he's about to do for the fourth or fifth time. He's trying to relate to them that it's going to be a very horrible couple of days, and then they're going to find their hope. And he last week, if you were with us, he told them that they needed to abide in him. That he said, he's the vine and we're the branches, and the fruit that is produced in our lives comes only from him, and we need to stay connected to him in that. This is a part of that conversation as he continues. We break it up by a week by week, but this is in the same moment. After talking about abiding, Jesus says these words. Verse 17 of John chapter 15. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that they have seen my miracles, and yet they have both hated both me and my father, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And Jesus is telling his disciples this night something that you and I need to hear. And I know we've read this before, or possibly you've read it before, but it's something that we need to be reminded of. And Jesus let us know that if we abide in him and he begins to produce fruit in us, that he begins to do his work in our lives, that when his spirit enters us, our relationship with those we've had relationship for in the past will change That when we abide in Jesus, it changes our likes and our desires and our interests, and it affects relationships. He's already told us that it will separate mother and father and son and daughter and family members and relationships. It's going to alter us. He said, when my spirit enters you, it'll make you different. It's going to redefine things from us differently than we've ever seen them before. Life versus death. Love versus duty. Duty. Identity versus accommodation. It's going to change all of that. It's going to put us in a new perspective if we abide in Him. People around you who you love and want to serve are going to find it more difficult to figure you out. You're not going to make sense to people, and it's going to cause a problem. Jesus even goes strongly with the word hatred. Because our relationship with this world is not sacred soil for us anymore, and we're different, it allows us to be changed. It allows us to be challenged. You see, Christianity is not just a lifestyle, it's a change of nature. It changes who we are. See, in verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember, this is on the way to the garden to be arrested, persecuted, tortured, and killed. And he's telling them, Tonight you're going to see the world's hatred on me, and then you're going to feel it on you. And we know that we just have to wait a few days until they're persecuted because of their relationship with Jesus. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That there is a cost to following him. There is a cost to being attentive and associated with him. So why will the world hate us? Well, let me give you one of the reasons the world hates us, and it has nothing to do with Jesus, because we can be obnoxious. Can I have an amen? There are Christians who are obnoxious. They make it about them, not about Jesus. Jesus. They make it about rule-keeping, and how perfectly they keep the rules, and how perfectly you don't. They make it all about superiority, all about insider language, and it's really uncomfortable. We have never been asked by Jesus to be annoying. So if people hate you because you're annoying, that's on you. But none of those people are here today, are they? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But Jesus said there will be some things he requires of us. There's going to be some things he does in us. There's going to be some responses to who he is to us that are going to cause people to hate us. And he's warning us. But the beauty of this teaching, the beauty of what Jesus said is, yes, they will hate us, but it can be the method by which he saves them. Let me explain. The first way, and I'm going to give you three this morning, the first way that we will... That the world will hate us is because there's a conflict over authority. There is this constant that takes place in culture today. And let me define when I use the word uh, world or culture, uh, I'm not just talking about all of them, all the evil. I'm talking about what is accepted in society that may be in contradiction to Jesus. Now, I don't want to ever paint America as this great bastion of righteousness. Read history. We weren't, we never have been. We're a struggling people just like every other nation that's ever existed. We struggle with all the things that every other nation struggles with. It is great to be an American. I love living in this country and all the advantages we get in our freedom. But we're really messed up too. But if you look over history, there was a period of time where the Word of God was actually treated as an authoritative document. It's not so much today. So what is accepted today are the standards of culture that say everyone agrees with this, right? And we don't always agree with it. And Jesus said, when you have an issue of authority in your life and you choose God's authority over the world's authority, they're not going to dig it. And they're not going to like you because of it. Because if you choose an authority different than their authority, then you're questioning their authority. And that's always caused problems. Christians have died for all the centuries after Jesus was raised from the dead over this issue of authority. In verse 20, he said, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. This is an issue of authority. Jesus said, If they listen to my words and they understand the scriptures and what God has been doing since the beginning of time to redeem his creation, if they hold on to that authority, they will understand what you're going to be talking about. But if they don't, they're going to despise you. I learned something in my research and I loved it. That in the synagogue, now a synagogue would have been a local worship place. The the temple in Jerusalem was where the Jews were to worship. But if they couldn't get there because they lived in different places as as the Jews were throughout the world, they would establish synagogues. They would have uh, religious leaders, synagogue leaders or rabbis in their towns or their communities that would teach. And one of the things I learned, which is fascinating, and you've even might remember a moment where you saw Jesus do one of these, where he came in and they handed him a scroll and he opened a scroll and he read a passage from Isaiah and he pronounced that he was the Messiah and they tried to kill him. But anyway, it it was a nice moment. And as they would sit in these synagogues, what would happen is a teacher would sit down and open a scroll and begin to teach. And at the end of his teaching, the religious leaders in the community, if they agreed with the teaching, they would say two words, two words you may recognize, amen. Amen. And the word means truth, truth. So they would pronounce this. After the teaching was given, they would say, that is true, that is true. And it would sound like, amen, amen. That's why I'm always begging for an amen from this church and I get nothing. (laughs) Now, too late, you hurt my feelings, I'm over it. Okay. Now, what's fascinating, which really made my tail wag when I learned that truth was, have you recognized through this study of the Gospels that there were moments that Jesus began his teaching by saying, amen, amen? Or it sounds in English like, truly, truly, I say to you. And that irritated the fire out of the religious leaders because Jesus was usurping their authority to say he had authority. He was saying, I don't need your amens. I'm telling you the truth. He didn't let anybody validate him because he was speaking for God. In fact, he said, these words are not my own, they come from the Father. I'm giving you what he gave me. Jesus established his authority and what was one of the reasons the religious leaders turned him over to the Romans and accused him of calling himself a God, which would have upset Caesar, who thought he was. Why did the religious leaders do this to him? Because he questioned their what? Their authority. And Jesus said, have you noticed When you stand on the Word of God, some people aren't going to dig it, and they're going to try to silence you. The powers of the world, the culture in which we live, does not believe that the Word of God came from God, and they do not believe in an authority over and above their own feelings and desires. Who can tell a person if what they want to do is what they want to do? Who has the authority to tell them they can't, shouldn't, and will be judged for it? Well, the creator of the world can. But if you don't believe a creator in the world, you're going to have a problem with someone who does. Because you and I believe that there is a God and that he did send Jesus, who died for the sins of the world as the Passover lamb, and he did that meekly and for us. He has the right to judge his creation. Jesus said, there will be a lot who won't believe in my authority, and they will hate you for believing in it. So here's the provocative statement of the morning. You and I are not here for the general benefit of mankind and humanity. We have been created by God to bring him glory. And I believe that if we truly live to bring God glory, we will then serve the benefit of mankind and humanity. If we try to make the world happy and appease all the people who want whatever they want, we'll make no one happy, and no one will understand the mercy given to us by God through Jesus. So there will be conflicts over authority, and the world will hate those who believe that there is an outside source of greater wisdom and power and authority than themselves. Second of all, there's a conflict over power. In verse 19, Jesus said, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and this is why the world hates you. Jesus' kingdom is led by sacrificial power, and our world doesn't like that. See, our power is powerful power. Our power is domination. Our power is collected by a few and used against people. Well, it's used for people as long as you serve power. But it's used against people who speak to power. Even look at the political parties going on in the United States today. Can we just do what's right and quit arguing about who's trying to do it and who's not? But no, we can't because we live in a world where power has become the thing that even Christians think they need to use to change the world. The world will not be changed by power or God would have used power. The world will be changed by meekness, love, and bringing God glory. That's how Jesus did it and that's how we should do it. And if we try another methodology, Jesus said, the world will not like the fact that you're gonna to try to change the world through love. They want you to change it through force. Force through leverage, through trickery. The power of the world, notice again, why did the Romans take Jesus out? Because he threatened their power. He claimed to be from God, from another place, with power. See, the point is that the world doesn't like us because we don't put the firm first. We don't put the company first. We don't put politics first. We don't put relationships first. We put Jesus first. And they can't control us because we don't answer to the to the bait that they lay for us we don't bite at it we don't choose it it's not what we want and so i can say this and i am not a good dude but i can tell you this the things that i used to want when i was 13 14 18 and 20 i don't want anymore probably because sometimes i've had them and i think yuck i was working that hard for that how unsatisfactory was every bit of that And other times I've just realized that Jesus is offering me something better, something more pure, something real, and he has the ability to deliver it. And he showed me that through his love and his mercy and his grace, not by dominating me and forcing me and and saying, give me your life and I'll use it up and then we'll be even. No, Jesus said, I will give you my life. And if you give me back yours, I'm going to rebuild you. I'm going to give you new birth. I'm going to give you new life and hope. So the things that used to define me and give me identity, they don't anymore anymore or not as much maybe and the things that I used to listen to and the, the voices I used to hear and the people I was trying to please I don't want to anymore because I realize that in this world is if you do enough for me I might love you but in God's world I've already loved you trust me Because Jesus is divine, Jesus must be the source. And when Jesus is the source, the world can't leverage us. It can't make us do things. It can't even threaten us. Because even if they make us suffer, we're like Jesus. I know this suffering will end and there's a better coming. In verse 26 and 27, Jesus said, When the Counselor, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. He's laying the challenge in front of us. And when it comes to the issues of authority and power, yes, we have an authority in our life, and we have a power available to us, but it's not found in us. It's found only in Jesus. And Jesus said, that's a story you need to tell. I used the illustration last week about... uh, my son getting a splinter in his finger, and I need to qualify something right now for the record because I received more emails about this. If I blaspheme on this stage, I would not receive the amount of emails I got. In Indiana, a sliver and a splinter are the same thing. You folks need to expand your vocabulary. I had more people going, what's a sliver? Anyway, so we move on. So, But my illustration last week, if you weren't here, is my son was hiding a splinter in his finger, and it took a little bit of pain to save him from a deadly infection. And I want you to understand that Jesus is telling us that it's going to take a little bit of pain when we speak about authority and power to a world that's obsessed with authority and power. That for us to bring healing in life sometime, and every medical professional in this room can tell you this is true, sometimes it takes a little bit of sting to bring healing. And and we all know this if you follow Jesus. Sometimes the greatest blessings that Jesus gives us in life is not to give us something more, it's to take something from us. Some of the greatest blessings is to do with less, not to do with more. And so in this moment, Jesus is warning his disciples that there will be a cost to following me, but you know it's worth it. And through this, the beautiful part of it, is through all of this, I'm going to send you to testify, which is the third thing he offers us. There will be conflicts over loyalty through love. There will be conflicts in our lives because of our loyalty. But this is what Jesus will use to bring redemption. In verse 16, look at it with me. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Love one another as I have loved you. Last week, at the beginning of chapter 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you my servants, I call you my friends. Because a servant doesn't know why they're doing what they're doing. They just do what they're told. But you're my friends. I've told you what I'm doing. I've told you why I'm doing it, and I've given you a part of it. And and you might remember, I told you last week, that if you did nothing but take that thought that he calls you a friend... It might restore your understanding of Jesus and give you peace in your heart. I want to expand that a little bit. I want to tell you that if you take this verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Love one another as I have loved you. I want you to think about this. We couldn't find God if he hadn't found us. We worship trees and rocks and sun and moon and planets. And Jesus came and said, no, no, God's a person. And he introduced himself to us in the incarnation. And then we understood through nature who God was. We understood through Jesus, his heart for each and every one of us. And he said, he chose you. You didn't choose him. This isn't about when the world looks at us and says, you Christians think you're better than anybody else. No, we don't. Because he chose us. We didn't choose him. We weren't smart enough to figure him out. He came and revealed himself to us so we could have hope. Which means if we can have him, you can have him too. Verse 19. You do not belong to the world, but I chose you out of the world. Yes, we are different because we've been chosen. Jesus says, the love between you and me is not easily understood by people. In fact, it's misunderstood as if it's all about you and me instead of all about Jesus. I want to try an illustration. It didn't go so well Thursday. I'll try it one more time. If I'm 0 for 4, it's all on me. Here's my illustration. I want you to think whether it was junior high, high school, college, or even now, I want you to think of your your best friend. So if you're a guy in the room, it's your best male friend. And if you're a lady in the room, it's your best girlfriend. Have you ever had a moment with one of your best friends in life that you really loved and you really valued? Have you ever had a moment with them that they fell for somebody else and you didn't get it? I don't mean like a jealousy deal. But like my best friend, my best buddy fell for a girl. And the entire time I was like, Really? Her? N- not that I like, say he was a creature, but it was like, really? And we'd have conversations, and we were roommates in college. And, and he saw me chasing Heather, and he saw that we fought like cats and dogs. I, I was a dog. But anyway, we are cats and dogs. We, we fought all the time. We didn't get along. It took us two years of negotiations for her to even like me. I know you can't <laughs> imagine that, but it's true. And the entire time, my buddy in my college roommates looking at me like, dude, Is it worth it? And I just remember looking at him like, if you knew her like I knew her, it's worth it. And he's like, really? Because you're miserable all the time. And it's because I was immature and I needed to grow up. And she was just a better human being than me and she didn't play. When I was acting like a kid, she didn't want to hang with kids. And I was like, I need to change. But he saw me going through this entire process. But what's funny is, anybody else in the room have a moment? Where someone you love started loving someone else, and you were like, hmm, I wouldn't have chosen that for you. Nod your head if you've had that experience. Good. It's funny. The women are always like, oh, yes. And the guys are like, I don't remember. Okay, so. <laughs> so anyway. So let me explain. You know what's fascinating about this? And this isn't just an idea. This is actually a psychological understanding that when we have this situation in our life, we... So let me use my scenario. If my buddy was dating a girl that I didn't quite dig or think was good for him, or I I wanted to say to him, like, do you hear how she talks to you? I don't think less of her. I actually find myself thinking less of who? My boy. It's like, I thought I raised you better than that. I thought I, I trained you. Don't you listen to me? And the fact is, we look at that, and Jesus is equating, if you pay attention, he's saying when the world sees how much you love me and choose me over them, they're not gonna understand it. And they're going to think less of you to the point that they may hate you. How come you don't party with me anymore? How come you don't do the things? Remember, we used to laugh a lot. We used to go do all this. And we'd, we'd blow away on weekends. And we just go waste that weekend doing all this fun stuff. And now you're like, Mr. Church. They don't get it. Why? Because you've fallen in love with something And what we want to say is instead of, no, I'm right, and this is what we do, and this is proper. No, we need to look at him and go, no, no, let me introduce you to Jesus because if you knew Jesus like I knew Jesus, you'd love Jesus too because he loves you as much. And evangelism doesn't become knocking on a door and handing a tract to someone and saying, you're going to burn in hell, never has worked. You might get a person to come to church so you leave their door alone. But you're not introducing them to Jesus. And Jesus said the world will hate you when your loyalty toward love changes relationships, but we can use that so they can be loved too instead of walking away feeling superior if we would. You see, because what was fascinating is when my roommate and and I had felt the same way toward the girl that he was dating, I was like, really? Really? And we would have these conversations at night. We were both just learning how to date these girls and, and learning how to be loved and love them. And all of the situation, it's funny, we've both been married for over 32 years to those girls. Which means we were both wrong. We cared for each other, but we were both dead wrong. And at the end of it, I didn't know his wife like he didn't know Heather. And which is funny, we both stood up for each other in our wedding, and at the end of it, there was peace. It's like, good choice. You see, but I knew Heather like, Mike didn't, and Mike knew Tracy like I didn't, and I don't, I hate whenever we turn Jesus into a boyfriend, so please forgive me, but please understand, when you know someone and you love them for who they are, there's a reason you do, talk about that, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will give you an opportunity to testify to that, because those that aren't believers think that we Christians think we got it all figured out, we don't have anything figured out except that we know we're loved by Jesus, amen? Amen? And see, and that is true. And if we're we're promoting anything else, we're not promoting the glory of Jesus, we're promoting our own religious endeavors. And Jesus said, there's gonna be conflicts about authority. So trust the word of God and live out the word of God because when you live out the word of God, it will bless other people, it won't curse them. And you can live by a power that's gentle and gracious and merciful and kind. And you can also live out a loyalty that blesses them because of your commitment to Jesus. Because your friends look at you and say, you give 10% of your income to a church? Really? Is that like a tax? And then you're going to give extra over and above that so churches can be planted in Japan, so that eight more churches can be planted in the biggest cities in the country of Japan, and you're going to plant 12 churches, and that's still not going to touch millions of people. There's just too many people. It's overwhelming. Why would you give your hard-earned money to invest in churches? Because you say, because you don't know the Jesus I know. Let me introduce you to him. Because my Jesus is going to change Japan too. The same way he changed me. Chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. Remember the context. The last night. They're about to see a horrifying Friday. I've told you so you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. In other words, Jesus said, it's all happening to me now. Pay attention because it will happen to you too. And he was correct again. Because in the book of Acts, we know by the end of the book of Acts, every one of these disciples will have given their life. John would be the last who wrote these words. And the Apostle Paul would tell you that when he killed Christians, he did it to the honor and glory of God, just like Jesus said he would be mistakenly serving him. See, Christians know that we are not Christians because we made a good choice. We know we're Christians because he chose us, amen? You see, Christians, Christians haven't won anything by their own power, by their own authority, by their own intelligence, by their own self-discipline. Christians haven't won anything. We've been won, by the grace and mercy of Jesus on the cross. That's what that's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is not intelligence. It's not self discipline or self control. It's whether or not they attached themselves to Jesus and lived a fruitfulness that only comes through him. So the world does think we're a bit arrogant, does think we think we're perfect. We need to change the narrative. We're not perfect. We've been made perfect through Jesus Christ's blood. He is our salvation, he is our hope. In a room like this, I imagine 10% of the room is not a believer. You're not sure why you came to church. Maybe someone said, hey, go to church with me and we'll go to lunch. Great idea. We're glad you're here. We don't believe it's an accident you're here. We believe every single person that's here today is because God stirred in you in such a way that you chose to come worship him this day. And we're grateful you chose to worship with us. It encourages us to see you here we don't sit in judgment on you. We just simply want to say to the 10% sitting in this room today who have never made Jesus their Lord and Savior, I would love to tell you why I love Jesus. I'd love to tell you how Jesus has helped me when life's been hard and how Jesus has helped me when life's been easy. I want to tell you how Jesus has forgiven me, how Jesus puts up with me, how his love for me overcomes my performance. I want to tell you about a Jesus who would go to a cross and die a horrific death to demonstrate To me, that sin is and evil is hard and harsh and unrelenting, and we could not break it by just doing good. We had to it had to be broken by his body and his blood. Why his sacrifice matters, and why three days later he walked out of a tomb and he said to Death, Death, you're dead. And that gives me hope that even when life is hard, there is something awaiting, not just one day. But this day, that hope gets me out of bed and gives me a purpose to love and show mercy and use power the way Jesus used it. So I'd love to have the conversation with you because we're not gonna try to get you to do anything. We're gonna invite you to do the one thing that matters. Let him choose you and follow him and experience him and watch what a difference it makes. For the rest of us that sit in this room and may count ourselves as disciples, Are you abiding in him? And if you are, is that testimony going out of the goodness of life in the good and bad times? Is that going out to the people in your world? Imagine someone right now who you know who is beaten down and wonders if they matter and wonders if life is worth living and can't seem to catch a break. And I'm not gonna guarantee that becoming a Christian fixes all their problems, but I'm gonna tell you it gives them a hope that they know the one who can. Who is that person that you might have a testimony with this week who doesn't understand Jesus, but you could say to them, let me introduce you. If you knew Jesus like I've experienced Jesus, you would find the same hope that sustains me. The same forgiveness and love and mercy can be yours too. Around this room are four tables with lamps lit. People are headed to those tables right now to meet with you. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. Maybe you want someone to set up an appointment to begin a conversation about what it means to be a disciple. We're at these tables for you this morning as we sing here in just a moment or after the service. Please feel free to to flow to these tables. We'd love to meet with you and begin a conversation about, let us introduce you to the Jesus that changed our lives. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christchurch in general, visit us online at cco.church.